0: Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase, kids, in the outdoor it makes sense out of the senseless. And if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's go. <laughs> Randy Bachman wrote that song, and uh, everybody in the band that he was in formerly uh, said, no one's going to listen to that. They were wrong. Anyway, that's a great way to start off the show. I started every radio show for the first five years of my career with that little guitar riff by Taking Care of Business, Randy Bachman, and it just sets me up a little bit. You know, I'm a creature of habit. We all are creatures of habit sometimes, they're just not really good ones, but for me, This is a late-breaking edition of the Life 2.0 podcast. I'm taping real-time at 11.15 a.m. on Saturday, 10.22, 22. I should be long into other projects at this point. However, my schedule was rearranged this morning. So I have a trusty, dusty Dell computer that I'm guessing is 10 years old. And I've had a hard drive put in one time in all that time. Uh, it, to me, this is, uh, it's my closest companion that's plugged in. And I spend more time on this machine than just about anything else that I do. And that's good for my work, but sometimes it takes a toll. And so I had this hard drive I put in a couple, three years ago, and I had a great guy named Zach who lived in the area. Uh, get the machine, take it out, come back the next day. I was you know, just as happy as I'll get out. To me, it's like taking, it's like, it's like a barn find. It's like getting a 69 Impala, that's got a 396 in it and the body's in pristine condition, but the engine shot, So you put a new 396 in it, maybe a four speed and you're back in business. And that's how this computer is for me in my mind. So many things I think in my life are like that, you know, just let's just replace what needs. I don't need to go out and spend three grand on a computer with multiple screens, blah, blah, blah. Did you notice that flip phones are back? Is this the most ridiculous thing on the planet at this point? All my friends, we got to get rid of those flip phones because we got these phones. Now we're back with the Z Flip. Ugh. Anyway, I digress. Um, so the hard drive was put in, all good, and I do a lot of audio work and I am get, get concerned about people's projects and things like that. So for a while I did a little USB thumb drive thing. My thumb's a little bit bigger than them, but it looks just like a thumb and it works. In a, I, that's a whole nother half show because I'm amazed that all that data fits on this thing that's the size of someone's thumb. I don't even know how that's possible. I don't know who thinks this stuff up. I'm just glad that they do. So, I got about four or five, six thumb drives laying around. And I uh, checked in with my guy, Zach, about a month ago. And he said, You know, John, you got so much of the stuff that you're doing in audio and people's projects, you really should have an external hard drive. And I said, Well, what's explain that. He said, Well, there's the cloud, which is like this virtual place that all your stuff can get sucked up into, and I'll keep an eye on it for you. And if you need it, we know it's protected. But an external hard drive is a physical piece of hardware that you plug in, in the USB port in your computer, and then you download everything on your computer, all the files, all the pictures, all the audio, all the music, everything. And that goes on, the, like, it's like a little mini storage unit. Uh, yeah, I've heard of those, okay. So what's the deal? He says, well, it's like 50 bucks, so he sends me one. and I wait about a week to put the thing in. And yesterday, I, I had some time to myself, oh, I'm just gonna plug this thing in. He sent me the directions, real simple. Plug it in, do this, do this, three, three, and you're good. Well, I did all those things, and I kept getting an error message. Error. Error. Last thing anyone like me who still drags their knuckles on an ongoing basis needs is an error message. So I got a hold of Zach, and he had some time this morning very early, so 6.30 in the morning, when I'm usually either just starting or finishing this podcast, he's working on my stuff. So we get the thing figured out. We figure out where the error is at. and He said, now it's going to take a little while to back up everything you've had on here for 10 years. So... (laughs) It took four hours. So I don't sit still real well. I'm not, I I mean, I, I, full disclosure, it's Halloween month. I went and watched The Creature of the Black Lagoon. I pulled out the DVD, that killed about an hour and 20 minutes. Then I cut the grass, even though it really doesn't need it because it's really warm today in Chicago, near 80 degrees. Then I transplanted the elephant ear plant in the yard that's getting the crap beat out of it because of the sun the last couple years. So I moved that to a different part of the yard. And so I killed the four hours being fairly productive, doing some things. And I kept thinking in the back of my head about the podcast because I'm so used to doing them on Saturday. I don't like being off schedule, whether I'm going to the gym or eating or using the bathroom. If I'm off schedule, not good for me. I've learned to be Gumby along the way, kind of being flexible. I actually have a little Gumby guy right here to remind me to be flexible, John. Relax, it'll all get done. So anyway, I'm thinking of all the different things that I'd like to talk about. And I had come across an article yesterday that I found not fascinating, but confirming. And I'll get to that in a second. And then I started thinking about this external hard drive that it took four hours to get 10 years worth of stuff off my computer and back up. Now that stuff's still on the computer, but it's backed up so I don't lose it. So I have books that I'm working on with people and audiobook projects and print projects and my own projects and all the radio that I do for Washington DC, the Dow of music shows and The John and Jen Show. And if you're not listening to those, I'm asking why not? I mean, it's easy to do. If you're listening to this podcast, just go to network. Write it down. www.NewWorldRadioNetwork.com. And when you go to that page, scroll down to the Sunday programming and you'll see the Dow of music there where I get to play disc jockey for an hour on Sunday and have a lot of fun. And then at noon central, one Eastern, Jen Weigel and I do The John and Jen Show, Talk That Matters. So, a lot of stuff going on. And then I started to think about our brains and how much information has been stored. Forget 10 years, how about 60, you know? To, and you've been really on record since the day you were born. Every human being, the minute they come out of the womb, is start taking in information in a myriad of ways. And all that stuff gets stored somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but you can tell when it backs up because you're off kilter. So when you think about the bombardment that we take these days from all the information that comes from so many different sources. You know, I I like to point out when I was a kid, we had one phone hanging on the wall, had a 75-foot cord, it just stretched through the whole house. We had four or five channels on TV, four during the week, five on Friday night with the UHF so I could get the horror movies. And the radio station was basically one station. There was more than that, but we had one station locked on, WGN in Chicago. That was the extent of the information i got from the media that's it four sometimes five channels one radio station and there was not this influx of constant bombardment from so many channels and choices so what happens to my mind over the time i'll use myself as an example because i don't know how you're doing but i'm telling you right now i'm getting tired of the political stuff already every two to four years it's the same roundhouse bullshit and it's position in a way I don't care what side of the fence you're on it doesn't matter I don't care it doesn't matter what is interesting to me is the millions and millions and millions and millions and millions if not billions of dollars that are raised just to convince you the other side's evil that's really what it comes down to now I'm going to get some calls on this I have friends of mine that say I don't like when you get into that stuff well, so what it's still a taxing thing on my central nervous system the one saving grace that's come along in my lifetime is the mute button. So when I'm watching a ball game, like I have been this week with the Phillies, pulling for them a little bit, and the Houston Astros, and you know the Yankees, and uh, I can mute the button when the political stuff comes on, or any other commercial I don't like. It's like the ultimate control device. You've been muted. Click, you're off. And I sometimes close my eyes for a minute or two and turn it back on. I've been watching commercials for over a half century. I'm tired of them. I don't buy the stuff. I find it fascinating, especially the drug commercials. Everybody's happy and healthy, but they're trying to sell you a drug because you're sick. Why aren't they just so sick people getting better? That's what I'm asking. So everybody's happy and healthy in the drug commercials, and it's most stuff you can't pronounce. They have a team of people coming up with bullshitava. Use bullshitava and you'll feel better. Call your doctor. Anyway... Again, I'm digressing, but so what, it's my show and I'm a little late, so you got to give me some leeway. So I'm thinking to myself, what is it that I use as an external hard drive? Where do I offload the files that have been backing up in my brain for even just the last 10 years, all the stuff that's gone in my life? And I started to realize that my offload system is the gym when I go to the weight room. And I realized it goes way back to when I was a kid and I got in trouble at school for something. I don't recall what the heck it was. I was couldn't have been more than eighth grade. And my mom said, I'll never forget it. Way to go, mom. She said, why don't you go take your anger out on the weights? Go take your anger out on the weights instead of something else, which is not always a good healthy thing. So I went down to the basement. My grandfather, Grandpa Carl from Sweden, was a boxer when he was younger. And he had a bunch of old Sears sand weights and some metal weights that were down there and some machines that he actually made this kind of like a Bowflex type thing that he made himself. And, uh, I, I started and I must be pretty angry because I've been working out for 50 years. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And I realized the other day when I was in the gym, it's exactly tied into what I was talking But I found a, a fairly healthy way. I mean, weight training can be difficult on the body and there's a lot of aches and pains at times and strains and grains and stones and all that. A lot of, aches and pains and strains that go with all that but um, for the most part it has been my offload ramp and another time I remember something was going on and I walked a couple miles if not three from my house up to a place called Portage Park in Chicago where I eventually you know started playing football there when I was a kid but they had a weight room there and there was a guy named Rick Makowski who was the like the superintendent of of the park and at the time again i could have been 15 16 at that time Uh, i saw this guy as like you know thor he had to be six foot two blonde hair broad shouldered v you know tapered v uh body style and um he was pressing 135 pounds over his head for reps which is not easy to do if you're not used to it and it's something locked in my mind that this is probably the best way for me to offload stuff and so i go to the gym as a scheduled thing i'm not always angry when i go there But I could tell you on days when I'm not doing well with something, when something's really gnawing on my spine, when something's really grinding my gears, when something's roasting my spuds, when something's just jerking my chicken, I go to the gym and I take it out on the weights. And so for me, it has been my external hard drive. And it was one of those little revelations I had cut in the grass this morning and all just kind of came together. I don't go to the gym for four hours. It doesn't take quite that long. If I get 45 minutes in, I'm okay. But it's amazing how much energy you can burn off in a good way, doing something constructive. So that's that part of it. But then I came across this article that just hit home run with me, no pun intended, because they have a baseball analogy that goes with it. It's a great article. I got to give full credit. It's at CNN Health. It's under the mindfulness tab. It is written by Dana Santis at CNN and says, your intuition is real, here's how to strengthen it. I'll tell you what the article says, I'll share a little bit of that and I'll tell you how this applied to me and maybe it'll apply to you. Dana Santis is known as the mobility maker, a certified strength and conditioning specialist and mind-body coach in professional sports. Also the author of Practical Solutions for Back Pain Relief, maybe I should buy that. Many high performers across sports business and the arts will tell you they swear by their intuitive sense It allows them to make decisions often in a split second without overthinking and missing opportunities. Look at baseball players. As we are all watching the MLB playoffs now, well, not all of us, but a lot of us, the average fastball in Major League Baseball is pitched at speeds greater than 90 miles per hour. A hitter has no more than 150 milliseconds, which is literally the blink of an eye, to decide whether to swing or not. What's more, the ball is basically effectively invisible to the batter for the last 10 feet of its journey. There's no way you can you can follow it all the way in. And it's in hitting range for only a mere 10 milliseconds. So, one more time, the hitter has no more than 150 milliseconds to decide because the ball's coming at 90 miles an hour or more. They can't see it for the last 10 feet of its journey, and the hitting range for a for that batter to take a chop at it is no more than a 10 milliseconds. Forget about the complexity of hitting a round ball with a round bat at just the right amount of power and precision to do damage. So New York Yankee slugger Aaron Judge uh, recently broke the American League baseball record in a single season with 62 home runs. I and mean, sure there's preparation and skill involved, no question, but if he didn't have his intuitive sense when he's supposed to swing and when he isn't supposed to sing in that just that millisecond of a time timeframe, um, How does he do that? And how do the great athletes do that? When to make the right move and when not to. Science confirms that intuition is the determining factor in that. So intuitive thinking is rooted in neuroscience. According to Max Newland, president of the Harvard Innovation Lab, BrainCo, which develops products on brain-machine interface tech, the human brain possesses two distinct thinking modes, most of us know this, analytical and intuitive. They're often referred to as left brain and right brain, respectively, because that's where the research has shown the different styles of thinking take place. So depending on the task, different thinking systems work more effectively. Intuitive right brain thinking is characterized as more feeling-oriented, creative, and bigger picture thinking. So. When I read this, and it's a lot longer than what I'm alluding to here, uh, it talks a a little bit about learning to listen to yourself and engaging in regular reflection processes. um, I started to think about how so many, if not a majority of the quote, good things, the successful things that happened in my life did so based on my intuition. I didn't do a lot of research on them. I didn't take a group study. I felt my way through these things. It's almost like spiritually brailing the world for me. So when a project comes to me, and by the way, what's truly amazing is I don't advertise for any of this stuff that I do. Whether it's audiobook production, working with you know people on their books, uh, even the radio stuff, just kind of floated in. And I'm a, of the mindset that when I when I set an intention for something, what I'd like to experience in my life, for for example, all I can do is keep reaffirming that. How that happens, I can't control. When it happens, I can't control. And even if it happens, I can't control. But what I can control is the intention. So if I go all the way back to being a kid and the influences I had about social responsibility, environmental responsibility, things like that, John Denver, for example. Uh, and By the way, thanks for the, I'm still getting notes and, and text messages and Facebook messages from that John Denver special I did two weeks ago. Uh, people love the guy, and rightfully so. He made a huge impact in millions of people's lives. He's been gone 25 years, and he still makes an impact. That's the kind of life, to me, is worth living, even if you check out at 53. But hearing his message as a kid, something cranked up inside me, apparently. And I thought, I'd like to do that. I'd like to have that kind of impact. It's, it'd be important. Now, I can't sing a freaking note. I played guitar for a while, but what's the point if you can't sing with it? But anyway, unless you're Tommy Emmanuel, then you don't need any words. But I kept reaffirming that, how that was going to happen, when it was going to happen, even if it was going to happen, out of my control. But I kept thinking that's the best use of my life to some, Jacques Cousteau, same way, Teddy Roosevelt, don't even get me started on running for president. I mean, it's not going to happen, but this is my bully pulpit with this microphone. But those three guys for sure, TR, Jacques Cousteau, and John Denver, huge influences in my life uh, for different reasons, all of them. All of them answered the call, and to me, that's what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to show up here and then figure out why you're here and get about that. And most people I know, no judgment, just observation, as they've never done that. You know, you, you go to high school and you, you you maybe go to college, and if not, you fall into something else. Next thing you know, forty years later, you go, what the hell happened here? I'm now we don't need you anymore. And then what do you do? They're just trying to figure out who you are. So I've been very aware of the fact since I was young that there's something I'm supposed to do. I just wasn't sure what it is. And it took till I was 37 for radio to find me. And the only way that radio could find me and I could find that or hear about that in my head was I was in one of the, if not the most difficult situation in my life back then. You know, I had a college degree, worked hard, veteran of the United States Coast Guard, knew all the right people. I mean, just everything was on the board was being done correctly. And I was still coming up short. I didn't know what was going on. And if you've read any of my books, Living an Uncommon Life, Every Moment Matters, and Phenomenon, you've read about this walk that I took from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to Chicago and back in uh, 1996, four months of 1996, September, October, November, so late August really till till, uh, Thanksgiving of 96 with a couple other guys who walked with me to Chicago and then I walked back north alone. And I'm not gonna get into all that here because it's just too involved, but the bottom line was, I answered the call that came in me because I kept having this dream of seeing myself walking on the side of the road with a backpack on. And my subconscious mind, my intuitive mind was trying to tell me something. And I had no freaking idea what the hell that might be. I remember telling my wife at the time, I keep having this dream. It won't leave me alone. I've myself walking and things were pretty difficult for us. And she's like, well, when are you leaving? Right? So long and short of it is we ended up moving to upper Michigan. I had the dream again. I went to this native American friend of mine, Bruce Hardwick, a mukteth. He said, here's what's going on with you. And you have a choice. Are you going to listen to yourself or you want to sit in rooms nine and 10 and try to you know, ponder your navel for about a year? And I think it's the most, it has to be the, the first time I ever really said, I'm going to listen to myself. And, and for no particular reason, like this is something's going on here and it's not something I was ever taught. You know, this is not taught in school. It should be, there should be some sort of intuitive learning class. Maybe just life is our intuitive learning class, but it's for sure it's not taught in school. And over there, it's all about you know, deductive thinking and, and, and all that type of stuff that goes in, into your mind uh, and how to solve problems and things like that. That's all left brain stuff. And you need that to get by on a day-to-day basis. But the big picture stuff, that's all on the other side. You know, that's, uh, that's where the right brain kind of kicks in and magical things can happen. So it was on that walk, uh, uh, halfway on the way back in a little town called Beaver Dam, Wisconsin that I literally found myself standing on the side of the road with a backpack on, just that I had dreamed many, 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 many times and I couldn't frickin' believe it. I said, this is some shit right here. How is it possible I could dream something for months, not know what it means? end up being uprooted from Chicago with my family, living in a motel for, I don't know, a couple months at that point, having the dream again, seeing this guy. And the guy says, you have a choice. So I choose to take this walk. We walk to Chicago. I walk back alone. And halfway back north, I'm standing in the exact same scene that I dreamed. We don't even put ketchup on our hot dogs here in Chicago. You know how much that blew my circuits? But it changed my life. And so that's just an example of many of them. Some are lesser, not many greater than that, that was listening to my inner voice. Because we all have it. There's that other voice too that tells you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're an ass, whatever. I mean, you don't want to listen to that one. Outside of that, when you get quiet with yourself or when circumstances squeeze you enough, that's when these other things can come around. So as I was reading this article, I started thinking about baseball and these guys being able to do these things and being able to rely on that sixth insatiable sense my friend david stoddard who is an incredibly uh, musician and and uh, you know mu- uh, singer songwriter guy does it all he many many years ago had a uh, an album out called sixth insatiable sense and i actually i think it's in i think it's in phenomenon or every moment matters that i use that as a chapter title sixth insatiable sense because it is insatiable it, it it's always has our best interest at heart now Watching Aaron Judge, you know, six foot seven, two hundred seventy pounds, swing a round ball at a round bat that's coming in at ninety miles an hour, obviously takes athletic coordination. But you, at some point, your brain's got to go psst, swing, psst, swing. Now you're not always going to hit it, but you still have to swing, right? And I think life is so much like baseball. Baseball is a game of failure, for the most part. You know, if you if you succeed three times out of 10 at bats, you're batting 300, that's huge. So baseball is a game of failure. And as I watch the games this week, I'm reminded of that. Of course, most sports are games of failure. You have to constantly get up and start again. Football for me was a huge lesson in failure. Huge lesson. Because you can get knocked on your ass and get up the next play. Get knocked on your ass, get up the next play. Get knocked on your ass, get up the next play and score. But you had to get knocked on your ass three times in order to get the touchdown. And so to me, life isn't different from that at all. You know, my successes, I can count the big ones on maybe both hands and both feet, right? But the failures, I lost track of them. But every one of the so-called failures were really nothing more than connecting points to the next success. Before I get too windy here, I'm already at my, my, my mark of trying to keep these things to 30 minutes or so. I'm just saying this in plain form. The world is squeezing us on an ongoing basis and it's within our responsibility and our ability to respond, to push back as much of that stuff that we don't need as possible to maintain ourselves. So the intuitive voice, that part of us that knows our higher self, so that can be activated and and be something we can be led by. And you can call it anything you want. There's a spiritual component to this for people. And some people says, well, I just listen. I know one guy that named his intuitive voice Bill. Doesn't matter to me what you call it. I don't think it matters what you call it, that you call on it and you listen to it in a good way. So this intuitive thing combined with the external hard drive uh, was just so profound to me this morning because I see metaphors in life everywhere and reflections of my life everywhere. I always say, and I've signed most of my books with, if you go within, you will never go without. You may not like what you have to do. You may not like what you hear. And you may not want to take the route that is prescribed. I didn't want to walk to Chicago and back. I just left there. I felt like an idiot. The people around me thought I was an idiot. Matter of fact, my father a lot at the time followed me in a van just to make sure I wasn't an idiot, like I wasn't nuts. And there was a couple times I thought he might be right. But as soon as the wheel turned and things started clicking, and I heard that voice in my head that said, "John, go on the radio," and here I am, 25 years later, still doing this. Hard not to listen to that. I'm going to send you off with one song uh, for Mister Denver's that uh, I did put in the special. But I was out to lunch this week with some folks, and um, his name came up in conversation, and they had the people at the table had listened to the podcast and the radio show in Washington. And woman in particular said, I just love that song, The Eagle and the Hawk. You just don't hear it enough. And I agree with that. It's just two minutes and 15 seconds. And I think it, in some ways it really sums up everything I'm talking about in this particular episode. So thanks for listening. Until next time, be well, safe travels, listen within, and you'll never go without. And reach for the heavens And hope for the future And all that we can be Not just what we are